So good morning, Westside. It's good to see you guys today. You guys glad to be here on Palm Sunday 2021? Well, it is good to have you guys. I am going to talk to you about what Palm Sunday uh, represents, where it comes from. And it comes from uh, the moment that Jesus uh, experienced what, the, what we call a triumphant entry. So we're going to read it. It is a little bit to read, so I am going to read to you uh, close to uh, 20 verses. Uh, but I want to give you the whole story in context. And I'm going to be bouncing around uh, just verbally uh, with, with uh, what the Bible says about the triumph, triumphant entry uh, in the four different Gospels. And there's a lot of things that is associated or connected with the triumphant entry, uh, and it just gives us a bigger and wider picture, a wider view of Jesus Christ himself. Now, a lot of times in our messages, uh, we break down Scripture, but then we apply it to our lives. But this morning, I just really want to focus on Jesus. The Bible says that if we lift him up, then he will draw all men unto himself. And so this morning, I just want us to dive into Jesus and just get a bigger picture of Christ, our Savior, Christ, our King, Christ, our friend, uh, just on this Palm Sunday. So let me go ahead and read to you. Luke, chapter 29, verses 29 through 46. When we draw near to Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, now this is Jesus talking to his disciples, about Jesus talking to his disciples. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a coat tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he, was, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owners said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now he was talking about Jerusalem, or the Bible is talking about Jerusalem, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
Now, oftentimes, the latter part of that, this verse you don't hear to go along with Palm Sunday, but it is a part of the context. So Jesus came down uh, on his way into Jerusalem, and he experienced the, tri- the, the, uh, the triumphant entry. And after he experienced the triumphant entry, he made his way into Jerusalem, and that's what you have. So it's really a part of the, of the whole story. And to really, to really get Jesus, to really get a picture of Jesus and to get inside of what was going on with Jesus at this moment, you have to include uh, the latter part, the part about him weeping over Jerusalem, Jerusalem not recognizing a moment when God was going to visit them, and then how Jesus dealt with the order or the lack of order in the temple. Let me say something to you. There's a couple of moments in here that I might give you a freebie, just might give you an extra that is outside of the perimeters, really, of this message. And this is one of them right here. You notice that Jerusalem was about to experience a judgment or a type of condemnation simply because they didn't recognize the hour of visitation. I just want to give you this extra right here. Sometimes bad things can happen are sometimes less than great things can happen in our life if we miss what God is doing in our life. I just want to give you that. You're in church, and there's a call to salvation, and God is moving in your heart at that moment to say, God, I surrender myself to you, and we choose not to do it. We missed a moment of visitation. We're in a church service, and there's an opportunity to receive prayer, and you need prayer. Or the Holy Spirit is just trying to push you and move you to go and to receive prayer for whatever reason. But yet you don't don't do it, whether out of complacency, laziness, hurt, embarrassment, shame, and the list goes on. You missed a moment of visitation, and you missed a moment that God wants to do something in you. You're driving in your car, you're sitting in your house, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God begins to speak to you, and he says, pray, or he gives you the thought to pray, and you're too consumed with your life, you're too consumed with what's going on in you, and you ignore the prompting and the urging of the Holy Ghost. Guess what? You miss a moment of visitation, and you miss a moment of experiencing God or being used by God for somebody else. It's very important to know that Jerusalem was about to enter into a siege because they missed the moment of visitation. Let me warn you this morning, do not overlook and do not ignore and do not be so insensitive to what God is doing that you miss a moment of visitation because we're so consumed with me, myself, and I. Are you breathing this morning? All right, that's just a freebie. That's, just, that's getting started right there. Look at someone and say, he's just getting started. We, we adjusted these lights, and these, I ain't used to these lights. These lights about to blind me with these glasses on. So we're going to look at about six things, and, 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 and these six things is not going to be lengthy uh, in them. I, 
you will be pleased, at least I guess some of you will be pleased. I, I went to, a, you know, we had to go to a conference last week, and one of the speakers that spoke was really dynamic, and he was super dynamic in 20 minutes, and I left there inspired by his word and inspired by his timeline. I was like, if that preacher can give a dynamic word in 20 minutes, I'm going to try my best to give a dynamic word in 20 minutes. Oh, you like... You hurt my feelings now. You hurt my feelings. What time is it? Ten, that freebie don't count as my message. That freebie don't count. 10.56. All right. So we're going to look at a few things. One of the things that we see at this moment in Jesus' life is that he was prophetic. Such an amazing prophet. Now, he is called prophet by many people. But oftentimes, when someone refers to Jesus as a prophet, they refer to him as a prophet as opposed to a savior. And you get that in other religions uh, when they refer to Jesus. Oh, yes, he was a prophet, but yet they do not acknowledge that he was a savior. So when I say that he was a prophet, that is an addition into him being the savior and the son of God. He was also a prophet. And, 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 and what we see really happening here is, to me, it's really awesome. So he told his disciples uh, to go and basically to gather a don- to prepare a donkey for him, a donkey coat that no one has sat on. But the prophetic part about it is that he told them that you're going to go uh, on your way into Jerusalem, you're going to go to Bethpage, and you are going to come across a donkey. Like this was before it even happened. Then he went on to say to them, you're not only going to come across the donkey, but yet you're going to get there and somebody is going to say something to you about gathering the donkey for me. And when they say something to you, I want you to tell them that the Lord has need of it. He didn't say tell them that Jesus has need of it because the implications is really great right here. But he said tell them that the Lord has need of it. So what we see in Jesus' life right there is a prophetic power, a prophetic gifting, that he was able to see what was going to happen prior to it happening. And when he spoke the truth, the truth was already about to happen. And what we can get from that is when we adhere to the words of Jesus, we are adhering to a prophetic utterance of truth. And we can bank on the reality that he was not only the son of God or a son of man, but he offered a prophetic voice, meaning that he was also a mouthpiece of God. And when you study the words of Jesus, what you study is a prophetic utterance unto the children of God, whether it be Gentile children are Jewish children, and it's very important that we realize that Jesus' words was not just words of wisdom. They were not just sweet little parables. They were not just little accolades or rebuke or rebukes or corrections, but yet he had a prophetic mouthpiece, and he was also the voice of the Father. And so when you read the words written in red, if Jesus' words are read in your Bible, what you are actually reading is a prophetic voice from God himself. So Jesus is not only Savior, he's also prophet. What we also get, number two, is humble, a humble king. Now, if you watch the movies and you see the entrance of a majestic king, they don't come in on a donkey's coat, do they? A lot of, if they are a good king, they come in on a white stallion. If they are a bad king, they come in on a black stallion. 
And they're coming in with pride and strength and power and all this glory. Well, Jesus came in with strength and he came in with glory, but he came in with humility. He came in on a donkey's coat. And it's likened to how he came into the world. When he was born, he was born as a king. But yet he was not born in a king's palace. He was not born in a king's baby bed. He was not born with a gold chalice. He wasn't born into swaddling clothes that was purple because that represents royalty. But he was born inside of a manger. So Jesus entered into the world humbly. Jesus entered into a kingship humbly. And Jesus has always maintained a humble position before God and before mankind. But yet his humility did not weaken nor did it lessen his authority and his power. Because the Bible says that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He was with the world before the world began. He is, he is, the world is the byproduct of him and he will stand righteous and he will stand strong and he will stand as a king when the old world fades away and the new world comes into existence. But in spite of all that, he is still a humble king. So what does that teach us? It teach us, teaches us that like our king, like our leader, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord as well. That if Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, came into this world humbly. We need to come into salvation humbly. And if Jesus came into the authority of a king humbly, we need to come into the authority of a child of God humbly. We don't need to walk around self-righteous, better than anybody else, thinking we're all that in a bag of chips. We need to humbly come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need to humbly serve the world. And we need to humbly love one another because our king is a humble king. I serve a humble king, but he is also a strong king. Amen? I can't stand to see a prideful, arrogant preacher. I like to smack them upside their head because they don't represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I can't stand to look at arrogant Christians pious, self-righteous, think they know it all, think they're God's gift to creation. I like to give them a big old boot and says, humble yourself because you ain't no special than anybody else in this world. You're just saved by grace because you made a choice. And if there's any credit to you, it's the fact that you just made a choice. That's it. That's the only credit you and I can take is we made a choice and maybe somebody else didn't make a choice. Woo! I feel like preaching this morning a little bit. I didn't come to church feeling like preaching. I come to church half asleep. But right now, I feel like preaching a little bit. It's about Jesus, amen? Well, I got about 15 minutes left. Number th and I'm on number three, halfway through. Well, check me out. 
Alan said, I look like a hipster today. I'm wearing that with pride. Boy, I like, I feel good. I look like a hipster. Is that true, Emmy? She's all hipster style. All right, sweet. That's cool. Feeling good today. Number three, the disciples went before him preparing a way. Very interesting. So here at the triumphant entry, the disciples went before him to prepare that he was coming in. There has always, always, always been a preparing for the coming of the king. It just goes with the territory. The prophets of old did. The prophets of old did it. They foretold that a Messiah would be coming and that he would destroy yokes and that he would free the captives and he will give beauty for ashes and he will give praise instead of sorrow. The prophets foretold of the coming of the new king and that's Jesus Christ. The angels did it before he was born. We sing the song at Christmas time, hark the angels herald sing. Right? The angels foretold of the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist, before Jesus started his ministry, said, there is one coming that's greater than I, that I'm not even worthy to lace up his sandals. John the Baptist foretold of Jesus' coming. We are to foretell of Jesus' coming, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. When you see another brother or sister in the church constantly and practicing a little wrinkle and a little dirt, you need to remind them, hey, Jesus is coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. And then the signs of the time, they are foretelling of the coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that there will be pestilence and there will be violence and there will be the changes in the earth and there will be earthquakes and there will be storms and there will be all these things and it is, an, it is a foretelling of the coming of a king. Jesus is so important that there has always been a foretelling prior to his arrival. And if you look around, if you pay attention to what's going on, I don't look too deep into news and media because I don't believe 99% of it. But what I do look deep into is the signs of a time. Icebergs are melting when they used to not melt. It's a sign of a time. Earthquakes is happening where there used to not be earthquakes. It's a sign of a time. Guess what? The Bible also says that the hearts of the fathers were turned toward the kids. Guess what? More fathers are turning toward the kids now than they have over, over the past 20 to 30 years. It's a sign of the time. There's wars and there's rumors of wars. It's the signs of a time. We see an agency rising up that is mimicking the Antichrist. It's the sign of a time. We see that the development of a one world government is the sign of a time. There has always been the foretelling of Jesus Christ. I don't care what the news says, but I care what the sign says. And the sign says as God is getting ready to send his only begotten son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's getting ready to send them back for you and me, for you and me. 
it's going to be another triumphant entry. And he ain't going to place his foot on the ground. He's going to stop somewhere in the heavens and the trumpet's going to blow. And the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise and we're going to meet him up in the heavenly skies. Woo! It's going to be a triumphant entry. The signs of the times is speaking of another triumphant entry of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Glory, hallelujah. I love life and I believe in living, but I can't lie. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to get out of this world and go to a new world where I don't have to deal with all the sin and all the problems and all the issues and all the pain and all the agony and all the sorrow that we have on the world. And we can go to a place to where the devil was finally defeated. Amen. Hallelujah. Number four, his deeds and work was known. The Bible says that they knew he was coming to Jerusalem because they knew he was coming to Jerusalem. They knew he was coming to Jerusalem because the disciples went and foretold of the coming. And there there were those that believed in him. There were those that just wanted to witness him. And they all came because he was coming. Man, Paul teaches in the New Testament that how will they know if someone don't go tell? How will they know if someone don't go preach? How will they know if someone don't go teach? How would have Jerusalem known that Jesus was coming if the disciples didn't go and foretell of the coming of the Lord? How is the world going to know? How is the broken home going to know? How is the alcoholic going to know? How is the liar and the thief and the stealer, how are they going to know if someone don't go tell? How is the abuser going to know if someone don't go tell? They came to Jesus. The news, his news spread out, but they came because they were told he was coming that way. Look at somebody and say, you need to go tell. The fifth one is he had the heart of a pastor. We read that he cried over Jerusalem because of Jerusalem's heart. The reason Jerusalem wasn't ready for the visitation is because of their heart, their mind. They didn't believe. And the Bible teaches that he wept over Jerusalem. He had the heart of a pastor. And the Bible calls Jesus the good shepherd. The word pastor actually means shepherd. Jesus wasn't just the king. He wasn't just the son of God. But he was a pastor. He was a good shepherd. 
And he was brought to tears because of the heart, the disbelief, and the coming outcome that was about to happen or that was going to be happening in Jerusalem in the future. You know the heart of a pastor when they are affected by the personal joys and sorrows of the people they pastor. You can't judge a good pastor whether they're a good friend or not. You judge a good pastor by how they are affected by what you're going through. That's how you judge a pastor's heart. They're not affected by what you're going through, then they're not a shepherd that's about your business. So oftentimes a pastor is judged on how well he smiles and how good of a conversation he has. There's a lot of people that smiles good, and there's a lot of people that can talk the bull. But you need someone that is willing to take your feelings and take your sorrows and carry the burden with you and be affected by what you go through. I'll be straight up honest with you. I won't be your best friend. I'm not the greatest friend in the world anyway. I'm an absolute, I'm an absolute loner. I'm an introvert. But I tell you what I will be do is I will go to bat with you and I'll go to bat for you. I will fight the world with you and I'll fight the devil with you. If someone is coming against you, I'll be right by your side as your pastor to be the shepherd to help protect you, to help fight for you, to help encourage you, to help pray for you. I might not be your best buddy. I might not come over to your house and watch the football game with you eat pizza with you, slam some sodas and teas. You notice I didn't say beer with you. But I will fight for you, and I will pray for you, and I will walk with you, and I will preach to you, and I will encourage you because I got a heart for you. And I will get mad and I will get upset at you if you start sinning and stop coming to church and change, rearrange your priorities. Because just like Jesus wept over Jerusalem, I will get upset and I will get emotional if I begin to see you go downward as well. And if you don't like that, then you can go find a pastor that, that, that wants to be your best friend too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get nothing out of that one, did I? You know, I'm going to be honest with you, I I have battled for years being the kind of pastor I am. I've almost quit. I'm almost said, forget it, I'll just go preach. There's a theme with with, with evangelizing that's kind of, it's not said much because it don't sound the best. But there is kind of like a theme with evangelizing, it's called you get to love them and leave them. You go to a church, you love them, you preach, you leave. You got to deal with all the issues. And there's been times when I've been so, cure, so insecure about my pastoral style that I was like, I'm just out of here. You know, people don't want a pastor that's not their best friend. Then I begin to learn that sometimes those best friends ain't the people that's going to go to bat for people. It's going to go to war for people. It's going to intercede for people. It's going to shoot straight with people. That'll be there through thick and thin, hell and high water. Some of you know. Some of you don't know. But some of you know, when you go through hell and high water, you can count that me and Lorana will be there for you. And we care for you. 
And if you're laying in that hospital bed, we'll come by or we'll pray for you. Or if you're depressed and you're thinking about killing yourself, we'll be there for you. Or if your marriage is on the brink, we'll be there for you. Or if your children are running haywire, we'll be there for you. If you're financially bust, we'll be there for you. We may not be your friend, but we'll be your pastor. I don't know, I'm feeling my oats this morning. I I don't always feel my oats. Jesus pastored his disciples and he pastored the people that followed him. He wasn't their best friend, but he was their pastor. He had a heart for them. He hurt when they hurt. He laughed when they laughed. And his whole focus was bringing them to greener pastures, which was a byproduct of getting closer with God. I like that idea of Jesus. I know I can go to Jesus, and he won't just treat me like a subject, as kings do. And he won't just be someone so higher above me as the Son of God. But the Bible says that God is touched by the feeling of my, my, touched by the feeling of my infirmities. And I know I can go to Jesus, and because he's also a good pastor, he will be touched by the filling of my infirmity. And the Bible says that right now, he's in heaven interceding for me. Why is he interceding for me? Because he is touched by the filling of my infirmity. He's my pastor. You keeping time, Tiffany? Oh, all right. Oh, I get you, I get you. He also had apostolic authority. So we see that he put the temple back in order. He walked inside the temple. They were selling things, selling animals. And he realized it's out of order. He took some leather pieces and he made a whip. And he began to clear house. I like to watch a movie about Jesus where he's whipping those jokers' butts. (laughs) Not just a sissy, pansy, little soft Jesus. I like to see Jesus walk up inside the temple and like clean house. Like, boom, kick over table, take the leather, smack a joker upside his head, you know. Just full on, put some marks on their back. Okay, Lorana's giving me the eye. I know I... I was raised in the day of Commando and Rambo, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the kind of, those jokers cleaned house when they got upset. Arnold Schwarzenegger, that joker had like some big old M50 on this arm. He had another one on this arm. When I see Jesus, I just see Jesus with two whips. Get out of my house, suckers. This is a house of prayer. And, and hair's flying, flesh is flying, blood is flying. Jesus is like, my father's house is a house of prayer. Who's your daddy now? Say hello to my little friend. That's Scarface, if you didn't know what that was. He had an apostolic authority. 
He put the church back in order. And if you really want to know what kind of pastor I am, one thing that stands out to me is the order of a church. That's probably, probably what I focus on the most. Is how healthy is our church? What's the order of our church? What is going on in our church? What is happening in our church? What is the priority? What is the heartbeat of our church? What is happening that shouldn't be happening? What isn't happening that needs to be happening? The order of the church. An apostolic pastor. That's what Jesus was, and to be honest with you, that's what God has called me to be. It's to focus on the order of a church so that God can work in it, work through it, and be in it like he needs to be. Because this is what happens when you have a church that's in order. The Bible says, I didn't read it to you, it was in another part of the Gospels, that they begin to bring the sick in to the temple where Jesus just and he began to heal them. Why were they getting healed then as opposed to prior? Because Jesus came in as an apostolic shepherd and he put the temple in order. And once you put a temple in order, God can come in and do what God said he would do for those who believe. That's our king. So our king is a prophet. Our king is humble. Our king is so important that they've always prepared a way for him. Our king is known by his deeds and his work, and the thousands and even millions flock to him because of it. Our king has the heart of and is a shepherd. And our king has an apostolic authority to put God's work in order for the outcome of God's promise to be the experience of the believer. That's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Hallelujah. Worship team, let's come on up. Let's sing, let's sing that song together.